This episode of Asians Represent is brought to you by our amazing supporters at patreon.com slash aznsrepresent and the OneShot Podcast Network. Join our Discord community by heading to aznsrepresent.com. We're talking about our um, audio listeners and YouTube watchers. If you are curious as to why my why I am not composed, follow us on uh, Patreon and find out why. Um, that said, um, you know what we're thinking about. You know our childhoods and, and growing up with like anime and manga. You know, obviously our um, our perceptions of of what they are and their their sort of their cultural and sort of origins. Right, um, I think they, we begin to see how how profound of an impact they the anime has had on our lives, our <clears> careers, <throat> and, and and of course just like our, our taste in the media we consume. Right, um, for for me, it's very much influenced. You know, my my taste in what I like, may, perhaps not yet what I what I what I make. But I know one of you, uh, amazing guests, has actually made a game that was heavily inspired by that, and has done other work like like a Bleach three point five hack. Um, but with that said, before we, you know, we dive into this topic of you know anime beyond borders and sort of global, or at least the start of a conversation on global perspectives on anime. Um, I think it's important that we first of all introduce you know you amazing guests. Um, let's start to on our Twitch overlay, our YouTube overlay, uh, to the left of me, Pam, who are you? Why are you here? Why are you awesome? Gosh, I feel like we do this all the time. But I'm we do. Really and I will, do. I will say it every time. <laughs> uh, hi, I'm Pam Ponsalan. I'm also a member of the Asians Represent team. I uh, guess I started the Discord and I kind of just, here's the baby, y'all take it, and occasionally call me if there's a problem. And they're all much better than me now at managing the Discord space. So I kind of just sit back and go like, yeah, that was me. Yeah, I did that. I did that. That was me. Uh, I am the Dovetailer on, on Twitter. And a fun story that is relevant to this the stream. When I went into college, I went in on the uh, presumption that I was going to be a Japanese studies major. So I started in English literature and then I wanted to move into a minor of Japanese studies and I was honestly thinking about going to Japan and doing the thing. Uh, most of my scholarly papers, if you actually look me up, don't look me up, but I'm just going to say it anyway, but look me up. Yeah, I had a lot of stuff about fandom, uh, specifically boys love, yaoi, uh, etc. And when I was a college girl, um, I know that I'm going to drop my my whole soul in here and I hope that my parents never find out but my group was the group that started the first uh, Boys Love in Yoicon in Manila and we did it in the basement of my family business's building and my parents had no idea yeah. so all they knew wow. I, I, I asked permission from them and I was like yeah it's an anime con you know the stuff that I watch yeah Totally yeah. safe. Cartoons. <laughs> Cartoons. <laughs> From Japan. Yeah. So yeah, that's my claim to fame, I guess. It was called Lights Out. And a lot of people no longer remember mm. it. But we were the first. And we started the trend down here. 
Uh, back in it. my day, I guess. But also, I do I do tabletop <laughs> yeah. games. I swear, and I play FF14 a lot. That's why you never see me on streams. Like Daniel and Steve have to drag me out of Eorzea and be like, "Hey Pam, do a thing." I'm like, "Okay, I'm here." Hey, you, you were literally, you were literally like, "Hey Daniel, sorry, I forgot to send you those things." I've been playing FF14, <laughs> and, and, and my response was totally understandable. Yeah. I have mad respect for your conviction to this, your commitment. To Final Fantasy XIV. Like, I'm jealous. I, I want to be who you are. I want to be where you're at. Oh, well, you know, I, I will be streaming it eventually. I just want to fix my camera uh, properly and my audio, and then I'll uh, start streaming stuff. So you'll see me doing shenanigans in the Eorzea. And you'll also see me dying to Savage Raids now, which is a lot of fun. Okay, can, can you... Can you? This is completely unrelated to the topic, but can you folks clarify what a, what a Savage Raid is? Because uh, in my head, it's just like, oh, that raid was savage. Is it like actually like called a savage raid yes it's it's the hardest okay. it's the hardest mode of the standard bosses so you get four four kind of bosses and there's a regular mode that everyone can clear mm-hmm. and then there's a super mode called savage which mm-hmm. um like for that kind of six month period um that's your raid tier and you're yeah. working your way through that and some people will just clear it in a week and then you do re-clears and you get really really awesome gear um, some people will be like, oh, you know, I'm, I don't even care. I'm not going to do that. That's me. Um, <laughs> and really, have... I, just, I don't have time to read Savage with all of the other things I've got going on. Um, I, yeah. I did a bit of it in, in Stormblood, which was the mm. two expansions ago now. Holy crap. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it didn't really gel with me. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just it's the hardest content outside of the, the special ultimate, which is like, a super boss that will take you 15, 20 minutes to clear in in one go. And you have to just like marathon progress your way through. Because yeah. like every new thing it does will just kill everybody. Yeah. And then so you got to kind of figure that out. And then you go to the next thing that kills everybody. And then you just kind of figure that so, out. So, crawl so, your so way if, through. So your reaction to being super impressed by Pam saying that about <laughs> savage raids has now been put into context that that said you said you've been too busy to do savage raids you're probably busy doing really cool things too L- liana aside from like finally getting your hair done and looking like fly as fuck um why are you here what do you do because you know i have alluded to some things uh, about your work you have we will Hi. definitely talk about that more Absolutely. So hello, my name is Liana. I am the owner, uh, lead designer, um, only person on on the payroll, but not actually getting paid of Valorous Games, uh, which is my company, my own creation. We created Valor, which is a tabletop RPG heavily inspired by the, the feel and style you find a lot in anime, specifically kind of the shonen action uh, genres. Um, where you can, you know, scream about your feelings and actually get mechanically rewarded and then also just build whatever you want. Um, so that's been kind of my passion project since we, uh, my, my former college roommate and I started it back in 2010. What is time now? Uh, no, 2005. Cause we developed it for 10 years, released in 2015 and now this is year seven of me running Valorous Games, where I'm just trying to beg people to play my game because it's awesome and give me money because I want to someday do this full time. Um, so yeah, Having that is... played it, I definitely think it is awesome. Thank it's, you. It's so polished. 
Uh, sorry, it, sorry to interrupt. I, I don't mean to interrupt. No, we're, it's we're, a we're super don't interrupt polished the praise. RPG. Let's just keep throwing pl- praise. More praise. Uh, yes. Yeah, I really like. We spent ten years on it for a reason. We wanted it to be good. Um, we were kind of. I'm also like business and marketing and stuff like that. Like that's all things I think about too. And we wanted to make a solid mid-sized press tier game that could capture all of the the desire that I know tabletop gamers have of playing an anime style RPG. Yeah, and I want to dive back into that anime style RPG. Um because there's Valor and then there are some other TTRPGs. And then uh, but there be- are some other Then there are some others. <laughs> but before we get into that, Emma, you are our our final guest. Hello, uh, uh, yes. Uh, hello. <laughs> Who are you? What do you do? Hi. Why are you awesome? <laughs> uh, yeah, my name is Emma Yasiri. Uh, I'm an archaeologist, and <laughs> I've done this intro so many times, but I forget what I usually say. What's relevant here, besides, yeah, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s when anime was a particular kind of thing, which is different from now. Uh, I also uh, study, research, teach about uh, pop culture in general, but East Asian and Japanese pop culture in particular. So I, yeah, got a lot of stuff that from the academic side, still see some really weird ideas about anime. And there's this weird interaction between popular and academic that really becomes visible when it's supposed to be like a high level peer reviewed professional journal, but they're still saying weird stuff. So yeah, I don't know. That was a bit rambly. No, I think that's awesome. I, I think, you know, all, all th- three of you are here for a reason because of the, you know, the contributions that uh, you, you, you bring to the conversation and of course to the community. Right. Um, I, I do want to really, I want to focus on a lot of the broader issues, right? Cause one of the things we could do is we could, Talk about what was that big eyes, small mouth? That that, yes, that RPG. That's the one. Um, we could we that's could talk about one. <laughs> we could talk about that. We we could talk about a whole bunch of like sort of like anime inspired RPGs. Like oh god, someone RPGs. mentioned made RPG. None of or, that here. Or, no. or made, but no. but I think what's more important is we we talk about the issues that I think are relevant to conversations that we have on the internet across borders, right? We could, I mean, we're talking about like, like big eyes, small mouth. We're still centering the conversation on the West. Um, I think that's something we should certainly address, but I think it's really important to discuss different perspectives on anime. Um, Now, before we even do that, Oh my God, I just kicked my table before we even do that. um, I think it's going to be really important to kind of ground the conversation. in when we're talking about anime, what are we referring to? Right. I, I think that's going to be super important um, for, for me in the conversation when, you know, we're talking about anime, I'm talking about like Japanese animation. That's what I'm thinking in my mind. I mean, what about the rest of you? I want to make sure that we're, we're kind of going through this live and while we're actually having this conversation, because we do have the luxury of this long form format. Uh, Emma, you're, you're unmuted. What, what, where, where does this kind of take you? Oh, for anime in general? Yeah. Um, Well, I would say anime is a very large category with 
some internal consistencies. So I don't think it needs to come from Japan. And also very much aware that even in Japan, all, not all animators or people creating animation want their stuff to be considered anime. So I know Hayao Miyazaki is one of them. He has gone on record saying, like, what I do is not anime. But most people in the West would be like, I've seen anime. I've watched, like, Princess Mononoke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I'll say. Yeah, mm-hmm. so uh, it's complicated, but I think it's defined more by an overarching style and set of conventions across genres uh, that aren't necessarily nationally specific anymore. So So I'm totally one of those ones who could be like, if it's done anime style, but it's produced somewhere else, it's still anime. Cool. Um, So it's more of like a visual and storytelling style. Yeah. Gotcha. There are some really common themes and design elements and all of that going on. So it's this big nebulous thing. It's sort of that uh, I know when I see it kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like a feeling. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're talking about like those Netflix series or the series that you see coming in Netflix. Like there was that one, um, what was it Tresse? Oh um, yeah, Tresse the Filipino one. Yeah. yeah, the Filipino one. Like, I would, have, would we, I have feelings. Would you could, but I was, could, I wanted to bring that up. Would that, you consider that? Got, well, why, why don't we center it on that right now? Because I'd love to then extend that question to you. So Emma's answer to anime was that anime is like a complex term that encompasses a visual and storytelling style that doesn't have to be Japanese. So I brought up Tresse, and I, I'd love to ask you, Pam, what your thoughts are. Um, because the, the our definitions of anime are going to vary based on our experiences, uh, lived, and how we've consumed it. So what about you, Pam? Uh, culturally specific is a... It's pretty much impossible for a lot of the Philippine, the local Philippine audience to to not say, rather, that like anime is... But it, it's, it's impossible for us to ignore the fact that when we say anime, we mean from Japan. Uh, and we categorize other things more specifically. Like if you're into the specific Chinese stuff that comes from China, if you're into the Korean stuff that comes from Korea, if you're into the Indonesian things, if you're into that, we go very specific into categories. Uh, but that said, Japanese anime is the big one for us. Um, oh, lost my video. There you go. That's okay. Uh, yeah. Um, Japan. The Japanese one is the biggest for us because, historically speaking, and this is where I'm going to put my old lapsed MA hat on, um, we've had anime since like the 1960s, 1970s. In fact, there is an, an urban legend that is actually true about Voltron. What? Was it Voltron? Uh, let me go check real quick. It was Voltron, wasn't it? I think it was. Yes, Voltron, Legendary Defender. There you go. <laughs> um, the original Voltron was censored by our dictatorship because it was a revolution story. And as you know, in the 1970s, Marcos was in control. So while he really wanted Japanese 
Oh, there, Voltes. There you go. Thank you. So I, I was going to say, because yeah. Voltron, yeah. Um, Voltron was uh, the, yeah. specifically the US name of Go yeah. Lion. Yeah, so. it's, it's Voltes 5. Okay. It was a revolution story. And while Marcos wanted to invite Japanese investors, and we can see evidence of that in our city and in other things, uh, especially at the post war boom and all that, right? Uh, he did not want people thinking about overthrowing your government. So the Voltes five episodes cut off at a specific point and then they rerun. <laughs> and you only ever saw the end of that after the fact. So we've, we've had a very, very long relationship with anime that tends to disappear with most things when it comes to the Philippines. Like everybody talks about my islands in the same way. Do you have nice beaches? Do you people live in trees? Why do you eat pig's blood? Oh yeah, right. That's about the most that you'll ever get about the Philippines. But do you people other... is always a great way to frame. Do question. you people? Yeah, you know something uh, wonderful. Coming or another another fun thing. <laughs> like, you, Filipino food is just some of the best food. <laughs> yes, it in is. the world. <laughs> Laughing, yes, it is. Owning it, <laughs> uh, and also the the famous question that I always get: I have a Filipino friend. Whenever I get to the states, and mm-hmm. I'm like, that's great. I don't fucking know who your Filipino friend is. Like, <laughs> do you know this person? <laughs> and I'm like, no, but I do know that your country colonized me. That's why my English is so good. That tends to be my usual answer. And it shuts down conversations very quickly. Damn, that's um, a fire answer. That's <laughs> but anyway, um, so I, I really can't ignore uh, the idea that for us, anime equals Japan. Everything about Japan, its entire aesthetic it's it's uh, it's cultural influence and also the fact that we have a very rife political relationship with japan because our Mm. country was brutalized uh politically if i remember correctly uh an apology has been given but no reparations for the damage and that was a very controversial topic and rightfully so uh during the last before times pandemic sort of thing (laughs) happened and, and yet you have entire generations growing up on that. And what's interesting about anime for us is that it tends to be a gateway for some generations. You start on anime, you start loving the Japan stuff, and then you either stay there or you move on, or you look at the things from other Asian countries and you go, actually, I like K-dramas better, or I actually like the manga from, from Korea better, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so, so- it's, yeah. So where would Tresse kind of be categorized from your perspective? Tresse clearly went the anime aesthetic direction because they knew that it would be popular. Mm. That's, that's my take on it. I have a lot of feelings that could probably be its own episode regarding Tresse and Philippine urban legend and all of that stuff. Uh, like I'll, I'll be polite now and summarize it as it did its job. Now, whether it's a good series, I don't know. Whether I'm happy with it as a Filipino creator, I'm not sure. And last I checked, the creators are now looking into NFTs, so I'm really disappointed about oh. that. Um, and they did this whole like, but you can just talk to us. You know, we had no idea. And I'm like, should have done the research. I thought you were better than that, but that's yikes. Yeah, that it's it's a bit yikers. Uh, and Tressa itself is again a controversial topic. So if you ask me about oh. its relation to anime, uh, per se, I'd say the aesthetic was a marketing choice, and it yeah. did not have to be. But since it since they chose it and it got popular, then 
I guess it's a good gateway for some people. It's also a great intro for folks who have very little context about uh, the different cultures in the Philippines. So as a, as a kind of Philippine mythos stuff, 101, Tress is great. Uh, will it hold? Is it friendly? Uh, I'm not sure. It's kind of, again, that, that sort of gateway. Yeah. For, for, for folks but this time for the West. Philippines, right? For our, yeah, for for our creators, right? So, yeah. The other complicated relationship I have with anime, of course, is queerness. Uh, because everybody knows that I'm flaming gay. Uh, and one of the first things that, that uh, helped me realize that was anime, uh, ironically. That's why uh, I've, I watched, I have watched, consumed, read, written, fanficked, and RP a whole lot more queer gay stuff than I'm willing to admit. And some people might actually find me still on AO3 where people still read my 500 plus fanfic things. Uh, and if I mentioned a handle from DW or LJRP, I think a couple of people be like, you're that bitch, right? So I was in anime for a long, long, long time. We're learning so much about you. <laughs> the, the so, okay, so I'll cop to this. I was in that community too. But I don't recognize you. Uh, probably, that's why I'm like... There's going to be some behind the stream DM <laughs> happening here. I have to say that anyone who can say they are part of the AO3 community as confidently as you did is so powerful. And just like, I have to like be like wary now because you could ruin me. The amount of power you have. Oh my goodness. So I, I could go into the BL stuff, but that's for like. There, there yeah, are layers to, to Pam's power <laughs> right here. Uh, we're, we're learning about this. I feel like um, this is really just like 101 about how all of the queer erasure people tried to do to Sailor Moon. Didn't yeah, I mean, work we're, 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 we got to, we definitely got to talk about that. But before we get into that, Liana, I, and then of course, Steve, got to talk about like your perspectives on anime. Uh, let, let's go to you, Liana, and then we'll, we'll end on Steve before we kind of dive into. Dive yeah, into absolutely. Because, um, because I, Obviously, I grew up loving anime. Um, my, I'm, I'm a bit older, uh, so my cousins were renting raw, undubbed, unsubbed Dragon Ball Z movies from the shady Asian video store when I was like five. And we were all, we would all sit down and watch, you know, the action and the explosion. I'm like, yeah, we don't need to know what the dialogue is at all. It's, it's, it's all here. We kind of get it. Um, like that's that's where we started like my 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 cousin's cousin which is something that uh asian folk can really really uh vibe with um but he he actually had a famicom um i'm pretty sure it was hacked because he also had discs that he used to so i i i think it was kind of illegal um but like we had like a dragon ball z video game that we would play when he was over and um it's like we really got into it early uh my Cousin got like the entirety of Neon Genesis Evangelion, which, you know, was a huge series for me when I watched it at 13. Um, don't let your 13 year old watch Evangelion, by the way. I think uh, I was 13 or 14 when I saw it too. <laughs> I didn't watch Just it the because first time the protagonist is 14 yeah. doesn't mean that you should be watching it at 14. Yeah. Um, but um, so <laughs> I, I really, I, I like, I, it's been a huge part of my life. Um, <laughs> when I talk about anime, especially because, you know, like I, I try and watch the industry. I like to see where trends are going because that informs what I'm going to do with my game. 
Um, I'm very, um, I'm very kind of a chameleon as, as far as how I, um, I try and get a sense for what, what the opinions are of a person. Like if, if I'm talking to someone who, who is that sort of like anime is animation from Japan, I'll be like in my mind, okay, I know what, I know what you're coming from. So I will engage you in the matter that you understand it. Um, I'm personally very, uh, very open. Um, I, I am happy to consider um, just about anything and including video games uh, to, to be kind of inspired by or part of the, the anime spectrum, if you will, uh, just because it's thematically art. There's so much that goes into what we, what we consider to be anime um, even even just considering all of the different genres, you know, of like the the rom coms or the psych- supernatural horrors, or you know, the shonen action that a lot of people tend to be uh, more familiar with, and then you know, even rom coms have like the the how old, how old are they for? Um, so I'm very open in what I'll accept as as, as part of the anime conversation. Um, it just depends on who I'm talking to and how we're how our conversation is defining those boundaries. Yeah, that's that's a good point about like also different forms of media, right? Because I, I think of one of my my favorite video games of all time, uh, Tales of Symphonia, was the first time I ever experienced a video oh, game yeah. that had a, a big anime crossover and like its cutscenes, but also there was yeah. an anime that came out. Um, I love Tales of Symphonia on the GameCube, um, but yeah, that's a really good point about like. Um, so your approach is kind of like I'll I'll kind of read the room, see what's going on there, but also consider other forms of media, not just animation on your TV. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm willing, I'm willing to entertain a broad definition of anime, but yeah, I'll, I'll read the room and, and cause it's, it's good to just try and respond to what, what the other person is talking about. Yeah. Um, less yeah. confusion that way. And I can usually kind of pick up where, where they stand on anime and, um, and from there it, it makes it just much easier to talk about. Yeah. Um, and, and one thing I think that is really important for the listeners or the, the viewers is that all of these opinions here are very much valid. There is no correct one right here. Each of them ha- has their own context. So, you know, Pam's, Emma's, mine, Liana's, and now Steve's. Like, Steve, what is your what is your sort of take on this? I'm so sad you said that because obviously my pain is going to be the correct one and that everyone else is wrong. Oh, of course. <laughs> Sorry. What was I saying? <laughs> No, I, 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 I have, I've been struggling with this for maybe a decade now of like, what is anime? Like, that's a question that's always been like bugging me. And, uh, you and I were talking about this, but I have decided for 2022, I am going to take this idea that I'm going to take labels and I'm going to try my best to deconstruct them. So my answer to what is anime is actually, I'm going to focus on what, anim- what the term and label anime does and how it acts in groups. So though, definitionally, like animation with roots in japan sure that's fine but i find that the term anime is used in very specific groups to drive very specific outcomes so right now in today's world i find anime to be a flag or a label that people kind of congregate to to represent a type of animation that seems on the fringe that seems to attract people who are of a minority where they find themselves gathered around stories presented in a very specific aesthetic way. So that's like a a huge mouthful of terms and it's actually very, very vague, but 
I feel like focusing on the value the term has in certain groups, I personally get a lot of more value out of it and get a lot more interesting conversations. Like, why does this group rally behind anime versus this group that is also using the word anime, but are rallying for different reasons? So for me, I have no answer. But what I can share is that I'm seeing a lot of evolution happen with this very specific word. And it's wonderful to just stop and pause and and really see the nuances in there. Steve here being the linguistic anthropologist. Uh, going, going in that way. No, <laughs> I that, that's some of those words. <laughs> you know. Um, that said, like, I mean, you could tell that, like, all of us are kind of approaching this from, like, different perspectives, right? Pam and I are both, like, you know, the, the Japanese origins, but for different reasons, right? Emma, this is more of, like, a stylistic thing. Liana, you're like, well, this is kind of context. And then, um, but also it kind of transcends more than just television media, and then Steve, you're like, well, this is also, you know, the tr- you, I think the thing that I kind of like, that kind of stuck out to me there was that anime is a source of community and the value it kind of brings to people. And, um, and of course, obviously we'll, we'll talk about anime and identity, although mm-hmm. I suspect that's probably a, an episode of its own. Um, <laughs> I think this is sort of the scenario where we announced the sequel um, on the day of the theatrical <laughs> release of something. Um, yeah. Stay but, for the after uh, credits. Stay for the, the there's going to be like 20 post credit scenes and each of them is going to be an episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll have to definitely figure out other topics that we'll want to talk about and what we'll want to table um, based on where we're going. But one thing that I think is super important, especially since we're talking about um, different perspectives on anime and all of us are like different parts of the world. Right. And even though, you know, you know, Steve, Emma, and I, we, we, we live in the same city. Our experiences with anime are very, very different. And how we consume it now is very, very different. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to talk about, and I know this is um, a topic, Emma, that you also brought up, uh, was these terms you hear a lot in these sort of fandom communities. And it's translation and localization. I want to talk about that. Because I think that is one of the fundamental conversations that we need to have uh, as we dive into, you know, a more global understanding or a global understanding of the perspectives of anime fandom. Um, But I really want to know, like, um, you wanted to, you specifically said that you wanted to talk about localization because you noted that the term gets used to refer to not just the act of translating, but also making anime available in different regions. Did you want to kind of like start? That's kind of the same. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So uh, localization is interesting. And uh, we had that video that you shared that kind of gets into it. But I think most people think of localization in terms of the actual like industry practice of translating, making it appropriate for a particular region and releasing it for an audience that isn't in Japan like that concept of localization. Uh, But something that goes hand in hand with that, that I've taught about a lot is the more individual act of localization. So we refer to something like reader subjectivity, which is the consumer is a particular individual. They have their own context. They understand anything coming toward them through the lens of, their experiences, their understanding of the world and the context with which they live in. 
And that's a form of individual localization. So at the same time as translation is happening and they're trying to localize to a particular people, there's then the consumer side of it where you have no idea how a particular anime is actually being understood and incorporated into people's lives simply by looking at the industrial industry side of translation and localization. Does that make right. sense? Yeah. <laughs> no, hundred percent. I think you, you really kind of continued that conversation about sort of identity and producing yeah. meaning based on yeah. something that you are consuming. Yeah. And so um, every single one of us is localizing in our own way. Mm-hmm. So, it's so localizing. So, there's multiple scales basically. We're seeing this sort of macro scale of it being made available and the mechanisms in which this happens. So, the translation, the censorship, yeah. all of that, right? We, we've talked a lot about the censorship sort of side of things. Yeah. Um, but then there's also that localization of how you not only consume said media and maybe mm-hmm. said localized form of media, but also make it your own. And yeah. And for something like anime, Uh, perceptions of Japan have a lot to do with the localization of anime as well. So uh, the video you shared, they were talking about people now complaining about more like leftist ideas getting put into translations of anime, or some people are complaining about that. There's an agenda being pushed by the translators themselves. And this is partly their localization based on their concept of Japan, which is based on weird stuff in anime, but it's like, you don't think that more liberal or leftist ideas exist in Japan. Like (laughs) their first thought is that it's put in there by probably North Americans. It's like, that's not. That that particular, like that. Let's dive into this. I guess we're talking about right wing politics and the American fandom for a bit. Um, yeah, sorry. Well, I, think this, I mean, this. I think with the right, I, I want to hear about this right wing thing, but I think it also kind of ties into the this other thing that Emma you brought up this this cultural odorness, odorlessness. Odorlessness. It's a horrible term. Yeah. There are, all of these ideas. So these are terms that are widely known or used. It's they are coming largely from media studies and cultural studies who have been obsessed with anime and manga and Japanese pop culture since it arrived. Yep. Forever. And like (laughs) forever. Yeah. Partly because they were all fucking shocked that something that wasn't American was popular and that people wanted to watch this and that people formed communities and relationships around it. And it was just like, but why it's from Japan. I think it's weird. What's happening. And that's kind of how the studies really started here, at least in North American institutions. So some of these ideas and frameworks that people are using to study or talk about something like anime are ideas from the 70s through 90s, when anime was still considered to be sort of like a a thing for outcasts and weirdos. And... It's, it hasn't really gone away. <laughs> if I may add a bit on that, yeah. like, I think I think it's impossible to ignore that, like especially with that, you know, oh, it's the it's the lefties and the translators who are saying this. Mm. Uh, a lot, a lot of a certain kind of 
typically white, um, often male anime fan, is operating under a perception of Japan that is still rooted in racism that goes back to World War II. Yep. Um, which I think, honestly, Emma, you were kind of getting at that, but mm-hmm. you know, we should we should be clear about that. Like the idea yep. that Japan doesn't have its own LGBTQ movement, the idea that Japan doesn't have concepts uh like you know wanting to make things better fighting for social justice despite the fact that anime often in style is about rebellion is about outsiders finding their place and you know rewriting the status quo i mean revolutionary girl utina has it in the title Uh uh-huh yeah like the and you see this with American media too. There is, there is, there are a lot of people who unfortunately are just kind of media illiterate and they don't, they, they will view a piece of media and they will uh, kind of with your personal localization comments, they will, they, they will fit it into the, into the box that, that they themselves exist in. So uh, and that can be very meaningful for people, not not saying that it's not, but um, in doing so, often people will ignore the the themes, the the messages. And you know, sometimes it's the fault of the series too. They didn't put their message out there correctly. You know, it's not always you know, it's messy. Media consumption is messy, but there are a lot of people who will just kind of willfully ignore it. Um, or, you know, like with the Star Wars fandom, who thinks that the Emperor was actually right all along. I'm sure you love that, Daniel. <laughs> what the fuck? Sorry, go on, but what the fuck? Uh, I, I'm also getting whiffs of, like, the Warhammer 40k fandom. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Who the... think the Imperium of Man are the good guys. Yeah, who think all oh, those space breeds, they're good! Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, or, like, there was this... Oh, my God. You, you said Star Wars, and... You, you brought this out there was this there was this person who is like a a, like a i guess a star wars fan has a star wars fan twitter account or whatever and when star wars visions came out okay when star wars visions came out they basically tweeted being like oh i i love star wars but take this japanese stuff out of star wars i don't then you wouldn't have any star wars sorry And they got absolutely destroyed on yeah, the internet. Yeah, I can imagine. They got absolutely yeah, destroyed yeah, on the internet. Yeah, yeah. But that's the this this is this is kind of what I'm seeing. This this sort of centralizing sort of the Western experience yeah. and Western understanding of the world. Yeah. And then putting that upon Japan, right? It's Which uh, is where we get those issues with the studies and some of the terms that I brought up well, but then didn't actually talk about just now, but I can do that later. It's <laughs> it's interesting to me that that's what has clearly occurred in North America, but for my country, we have a very uncomfortable localization thing happening here because you've got at least two to three generations that believe that Japan is the shiznit. Totally, 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 totally ignoring the complex relationship that our countries have. So, And a lot of that comes from the fact that people look at Japan as the ideal, they, they look at that country as better than ours. Even their products are better than ours. 
So when we go into a lot of anime-influenced things, it's often a lot of creators who do the natural process of fumbling through it and then um, finding their own voice, I guess, after figuring out that, oh, these particular things from anime and that huge broad spectrum that is anime uh, don't quite fit with what I believe, so maybe I can change that. So that's how it usually starts. You've got a response from fandom, from someone who saw something very different from their own and initially starts out thinking, wow, they're so amazing. Why can't we be like that? And then realizing, wait a fucking minute. <laughs> it's, a, it's a different country. It's a different context. It's not mine. It's not my culture. And then growing out of that and going, okay, I'm influenced by the following things and being very specific about those following things. Hence the need for us to be to dwell in the realm of specificity. Uh, so it's, I don't even know where to start is the thing that could also be another episode like anime and Southeast Asia, right? Like I've gotten a lot of interesting questions from Twitter. Like, how do you feel given that Japan imperialism has affected your country? And my usual response in my head to that is like, seriously, you a white person? Or sorry, if, this, if that sounds mean, you another Asian from outside asking me how I feel as if I wouldn't know how I feel, given that I also have my own perspectives here and that we are compared. Like there, there, there are two levels of comparison, right? There's an, an actual political, economic, cultural comparison that happens. And then there's your individual personal comparison of looking at this wildly successful broad spectrum category and then looking at your own sphere and wondering what's going on here uh, why are we not there? What are the unique, specific constraints that prevent us from being there? And how do we talk back? How do we create our own things? And where do we root our influence? And how do we, how do we grow that and create something beautiful, something unique, and something individualistic? So that's kind of like a teaser on what happens on the Philippine side of, of other stuff. Like, I don't want to speak for my Southeast Asian peers because they also have their own very interesting perspectives on how how anime has influenced them so i think that's just got to be a whole whole episode yeah <laughs> let's, let's just make that a, a whole episode especially um, since from coming out of the west where a lot of people do see asia as very like consistent or just like a monolith uh some of the ideas that i've had are really hard time with and if anyone's ever taken one of my classes i will rant about it for probably an hour is the idea of uh cultural proximity where some of the scholars over here were just like oh anime is popular with other asian people because asian cultures are the same so of course it works <laughs> it's like but you're Sorry. yeah no <laughs> you're ignoring so much what did, what are you saying wait, Luckily, wait, that, that idea is really outdated but that's one of the ones coming out of like the 80s and 90s that people are still talking about and you'll see that echoed in popular places where it's just like oh of course it's of course everyone watches anime in asia and then the idea that it, it makes sense if anime is popular with Asian diaspora, but then it became weird when it wasn't just Asian diaspora that were into something like anime. And that's when they started doing the studies and being weirdos. <laughs> Why yeah. do they like this thing? How could they Why possibly they like, this, like thing? this thing? And then, yeah, you mentioned cultural odorless, odorlessness, which is 
so hard to say, which is evidence that it was never meant to be said out loud. It was really just written down as an idea. Um, Actually proposed by a Japanese scholar, but the idea that anime is lacking cultural markers or it isn't Japanese enough for people to pick up on that. And so it's readily acceptable everywhere, which people have now been ripping to shreds paper after paper. And the idea also bothers me because there's a lot going on there. And uh, yeah, there's, I, I, do you think it ties into that other argument that you see a lot of, of like, but the characters, the characters aren't white. Are white. The characters yeah. are all white. Uh, no, they're <laughs> not. <laughs> I think they're this is the. Per- I think okay. So I think this is the perfect sort of like. It was only a matter of time. So who had who segue had money into forty that. minutes? Because because it was coming no matter what. <laughs> this, this is that segue into into the like. But they're all white. Edward Elric is white. Um, there's you know all, all these different characters. Well, I mean the name, but we'll talk about that. But like the whole idea of like, oh, these characters don't look Asian, therefore they're not Asian. These characters. I, as a non-Asian person, I'm looking at this character and believe they look like me. So therefore, they are not. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what? Where does that? What? What is the response to that? Because that's one that. Let's let's face it. I'm sure we've all heard that from somebody in real life. Um, It's a pretty. It's a pretty frequently googled question as well. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, let's talk about that. and I want to be sure if, if if anybody has like wants to dive in on this, like by all means. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, I was talking about deconstructing labels and being Asian, being white. These are labels and things like that. So whenever I get that or I see that question, like I I try my best to challenge them. It's like, where is this question coming from? Like, what value are you going to get out of any answer here? What how, how is that going to shape your perception of this? And how will you take that information? and move it forward and that's a really tough question that's like a (laughs) super difficult question to answer and i am actually i'm actually not expecting an answer because i don't think any human being generally unless you've given a lot of thought can answer that on the spot my challenge is that by trying to navigate anime given that lens what are you bringing to the table and is your lens really gonna do you justice when it comes to how you are going to consume and engage with this media. So when someone's like, Hey, in full Metal Alchemist, are they white people? I'm like, maybe what does that do to affect the story? (laughs) How does that affect you as a person who views it? Cause I think that's way more interesting. Don't you agree? Yeah. That's Steve being like, you know, kind of shitty, but also, yeah, that's how I go about it. But it's true. It's like, why does that question matter? right why why do you need to ask that and also like okay there are two things related to this that i always think of is first of all most anime like i'm gonna say almost all of it is produced with a japanese audience in mind the fact that it ends up everywhere around the world has nothing to do with the production logic or the creator's decisions so creators are people they just want to make something They want to share it. What industry does with it afterward is something separate. But most of the anime, even that we find now, is made by really small companies. And no one ever knows if something's going to be popular. So there there are white characters of specific European or whatever backgrounds. 
they usually say so <laughs> or use a lot of like visual indicators to show that they are. So yes, there are white people, but you should be thinking from the Japanese audience side where the default is Japanese. So these characters, unless they say otherwise or really indicate through like dress and mannerism are probably Japanese and seen as such. But like one of the weird and creepier ideas that comes with this, oh, they're all of the characters are made white. Like why are all of these Japanese shows using white people? Is this idea that Japan's trying to invade the West, which is really old, but persists. And so the whole concept of soft power was created with Japan in mind and this idea of manipulating populations. And so thinking that these characters are white and so therefore taking the Japanese-ness out and making it marketable to the West is kind of framed as this giant plot on behalf of Japanese creators. And you just gotta kind of stop. <laughs> it's the Don't that do it. sneaky, sneaky, deceptive Asian people trope that yeah. we can never seem to escape for. Yeah, we're either super, the the super sneaky or super honorable. Let's, and also, like the idea that the Western market is the be all end all of markets, and that if you want to succeed, you have to succeed in the the U.S. in particular. It's, so, of course, you're going to target those markets. But it's here's the thing. No, <laughs> Japan it's has super a thriving industry too, because you're seeing these things wrap around again, where you're seeing American media being accused as uh, accused for being made for Chinese audiences now. Too. Yeah, there's there's a lot of this. People There's love kind a of conspiracy theory. <laughs> culture, I almost want to say like a cultural self-centeredness almost where mm. it's it's inconceivable to you, the white colonial power Westerner, that media could exist that was not intended for you. That something something could exist that isn't yours to take. Um, and uh, And that makes people uncomfortable to contemplate that Maybe this isn't actually for me. Let's. Um, there's another really great example that extends beyond anime. Um, oh, we lost. Uh oh, I gotta fix this. Give me one second while I, I fix the overlay. Give me, give me a second. Here you go. Uh, well, up. I I I do want there to jokingly tongue in cheek say that white people thinking that everything's about them. Come on. Well, Come on, the, not, not even, okay. Well, here's the thing. Let's just not even just say this is about white people. Sure, that's, yeah. that's let's, fair. Let, Obviously, I'm being kind of yeah. Well, no, because I, I have a really great example, really great example um, that that illustrates sort of the West's and America's tendency to center itself in all conversations about media. So um, there was kind of a controversy that happened. Controversy that happened at the end of 2021, where a um, a user whose intentions may have been pure or may have been to stir up controversy reposted a video from China's version of TikTok onto TikTok. And it is a farmer in Xinjiang who ha is eating watermelon in a cotton field. And people on TikTok got mad. People on TikTok got mad because they thought that this was a Chinese person playing on stereotypes. Right. And 
people went absolutely nuts on TikTok. And this is already at a time when there was a lot of tension between the Chinese community and the black community, right? Because of white supremacy and the model minority myth. People didn't even, we, and Pam and I talk about this a lot. We talk about how reactionary we are. And one of the things that we're trying to do with Asians Represent is to make sure that, you know, people take a step back and try not to be as reactionary. But being angry and reacting right away is something that gets you likes. And that's something that we all like. We want that little dopamine, like, kick from getting, oh, look how many likes or how many retweets or whatever it is on TikTok. I'm old. Um, you, you get, right? But here's the thing. In that video, that guy is literally talking about buy my watermelon and buy my cotton. Because in Xinjiang, they farm cotton. And they yeah. also grow watermelons in their cotton fields. And yeah. if you go on Chinese social media and you look up Xinjiang watermelon, you will always see posts of farmers with their watermelons and their cotton. Yeah. Context. Context is super important. But also the reaction of being like, how dare you? Right? Not, where, why is this being made? Where is this from? What is the person actually saying? Right. That's the same thing here with anime. Right. Yeah. Like that's why we wanted to have as you know, we want to do multiple episodes. That's why we want to talk about different perspectives in how we a consume the medium that is anime to, yeah. to be inclusive of all of our definitions, how we consume this broad thing that is anime, but also how we react to things that we see in anime. Because the things that we see are certainly going to be different, right? Uh, Pam and I, for instance, our definitions of what anime or what we associate with anime is like, yeah, it's Japanese origins are completely different. Mine are just like, when things that are made here are just, it's just animation, it's just cartoons. And when it's made in Japan, it's anime. But Pam's, yeah. yours comes from a deep history with the Philippines and Japan, something that I, have, I know nothing about. Yeah. And that, that is to say like attached to my point that anime is not targeting the West is to clarify that there absolutely is a history of using pop culture hand in hand with colonialism and imperialism. These, these are things that happen. So Japan isn't innocent. This is complicated. So Japan as a nation is not innocent and as a cultural industry, it's not, but the individual creators within it, are not the same thing as those higher levels. And then the history of what happens between Japan and North America and then Japan and other places is very different. So mm -hmm. yeah, I try to say from the West, we have these ideas and they don't work for these reasons. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. There's and I know that was speech. like, uh, <laughs> I know that was like a heavy fucking topic. But I think it hey, really, but I think it really, all about the heavies, but here's the thing. I think it really <laughs> illustrates the complexity of this conversation and yeah. why it can't be a short form video and why it's a two hour conversation that we're having. Yeah. Right? First can, of many, I'm sure. Yes. First of many. I know you want that and I don't know we'll we, do it. <laughs> I don't know if we can dive into it, but I do want to, to highlight here that that story especially makes me um, feel a tension because from my experience in North America, Anime has been a galvanizing point for, for how I have engaged with black communities where I've grown up because 
the way that anime has intersected and resonated with various racialized groups has mm-hmm, been a mm-hmm. point where we could find some common ground. It's Dragon Ball Z. It's Dragon Ball Z. But <laughs> where we can have that ground and recognize how it's hitting us differently, but in valid ways. And then from there, and again, this goes back to how labels promote action how these conversations then help us to understand our various communities and the systems in place in our world and how we live and engage and how they affect our particular people. The way that, you know, Asian people are represented in anime and how white people and other people perceive that. And, you know, are they white? Are they Asian? These kind of questions. And then the questions of, are they black? Are they code to be black? Was it the intention? These are all very complex things with, I'm going to say, no answers, no clear answers. But the process of deconstructing and talking about and engaging with the media at that level provides us all with a way to better understand how we navigate our really real lives and the systems in place and the power hierarchies in place that do have extremely real impacts on all of us. Well, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, that's the point I was trying to make, right? The whole goal is to have those conversations and encourage them. But people just want to react, right? People just want to say, well, everything is about me and my my feeling on this is the correct one. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to share a little bit from the cosplay community. So when it comes to Dragon Ball Z cosplayers, there's like a lot of stuff that goes on. But the most positive interactions I've had are with brown and black people where we are dressed up in Dragon Ball Z characters. We're talking about it. And the absolute worst ones are actually the ones where white people come in. Typically they're white people come in and want to explain to me why my cosplay or other people's cosplays are either wrong or worth deconstructing at 11 PM at KatsuCon while we are uh, shamammered. Um, not appropriate. But huh. also this idea that just because I am respecting this 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 concept, this like fandom, they can just like have this moment with us and just take our time. I I do feel like we should mention too that Katsukan is the premier West uh, North American cosplay convention, if I'm not yes, mistaken. That is correct. At least one of, if not the and I know some things about the cosplay community. I won't, I won't, I won't put too much in because I know Steve is far more, far more embedded in that than I, but. But you're right. You're right. Katsukan is like the premier, like the high end one. You could go there. And if you just like show up at Katsukan, you're going to see the Jessica Negris of the world. And you probably won't be able to talk to them and things like that. And they're probably going to have their shoots in very privatized locations and the stuff you would expect for people that, that, um, uh, clout and that like fame but Katsukon is a very very large con that draws in a lot of people who are looking to be recognized for their cosplay so to do their to be there as Dragon Ball Z characters and to engage with all these non-white people and to talk about how Dragon Ball Z has like affected you and and, and affected how you see yourself and your own racialized identity is a unique experience is wild to be honest yeah, I mean, you know what folks should do? They should just go back and uh, listen or watch episode 46 of the Asians Represent podcast, where we talked about 
cosplay cultural appropriation and things like that. Oh, that was such a great episode. I was so sad I missed it on air, but it's really <laughs> good. It's really good. Um, it's because we're kind of in there too. Because uh, we were talking about, you know, these are creators. They're creating things. Um, I do think it is good to acknowledge too that there is, there are cultural concepts that, that, you know, are being shared. Um, and we mentioned the black community. Um, and something I do want to say is this is, this is an area in which American media has caused some harm in that, uh, a lot of our poor representation of black people in American media has made its way over to Japan. And sometimes you get, and I'm going to use a very specific example, because it's one of like the most blatant and uncomfortable yet well-intentioned ones i can think you get characters like panther in ice shield uh, i don't know who that is i have to look this ice up shield 21 so ice shield 21 is a love letter to american football um it is by i believe uh ingaraki boichi who currently is doing dr stone which is excellent um in it it uh they encounter uh they go to america because that American football, you know, that's kind of their thing. Oh, okay. Um, and they encounter a character named Panther. That is his nickname, not his actual name. Yeah, Patrick um, Spencer. Who is a who is gifted, as the manga says, with the um, natural running power of a black man. Cool. He has a racism arc that plays out much like a lot of American media in which a his his coach is extremely racist for traumatic black backstory reasons. And they eventually hug it out. Um, Panther is, is himself kind of portrayed as something of a simple person in that he's, he's very joyful. Um, but he doesn't necessarily get all of the social, uh, kind of social niceties. Like he kind of invades personal space, um, he goes out running or whatever. Uh, all of these things, because uh, you can tell the author believes this to be wonderful representation because they this is this is what they're seeing coming over from the US. And it's like, you know, I'm writing about American football. i want I want to to show my love and affection for these people in this culture. Uh, and it goes very wrong. It goes very, oh, yeah. very wrong. Every- Everyone needs to remember that Japanese people are only racialized once they leave Japan. Mm. So like, do do not (laughs) expect (laughs) Japanese Mm -hmm. media or Japanese people to be nuanced on these topics because a lot of them have never had to be. So like, you can see some really wild and inappropriate shit. Yeah, a lot of the the, the, the stereotypes that you see yeah. in anime and it doesn't it doesn't even just affect the black communities if you really really think about it have you ever seen a impressive or nuanced or kind representation of someone from southeast asia in anime recently I because that does not happen of, mm-hmm. i can't think of any southeast asian represent the last one i remember from the ones that i've seen is yuri on ice so and that that's like the oh, most yes, kind yes. one. That's so the that's far, the right? figure skating one, right? Yep, yep. That's that's the last kind one I've seen. We basically don't even exist. 
we don't Yuri even get on, the... Yuri on, yeah Yuri on Ice was honestly it, that one was very interesting because it was so well researched into the fake yes. community where yeah. the idea of people from different cultures kind of existing and getting along together yep. was a big part of it also yep. the Canadian acted like an American and it was wonderful it was <laughs> no. so funny oh. <laughs> <laughs> the Canadian figure skater had this like huge ego and was super fab and it was great <laughs> We, we we take our figure skating very seriously here like, but 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 yeah that, that that's what i mean right we don't even get the courtesy of representation yeah, I, we are I invisible think, i cannot and steve maybe you can i can't think of an instance in which i've really seen vietnam in ne- anime pretty it's, much never unless it's memory like hole, yeah. a, a, uh, no never i've seen it in like other Asian media is usually movies and things like that, uh, usually to show off a kind of deviancy um, or war. But, or, uh, yeah, that's what I mean. Like violence, deviancy usually. Um, but in anime, no, it, it's much easier just to kind of erase that concept and go for something else. I think the most recent Gundam had Davao City featured. Uh, I think Gundam on Netflix. I forgot what the title was. I think Chad would be yeah. able to bring it up for me. But is yeah, it, yeah. Which is, Iron, Iron Blooded Orphans is the no, latest it was one a, that came out on a, There's a movie. There's a movie. Which, which is oh. so surprising to me because I think if there was going to be like of identities to, to talk about in Gundam, which is a a show about or there anime that's really flash, yeah. Oh, oh. Okay. Yeah. gorgeous. Well, Gundam, Gundam UC Hathaway's Flash as part of the UC also had um, Eighth MS team, which. Eighth and best was awesome. Set in Vietnam? No. Is but it? I mean, there's. It, it, it had a lot of imagery that kind of implies that, but the I never thought about don't that. Really? Yeah. And that's, that's such a shame because I think there's a lot of richness to the idea that Gundam is a story specifically about telling the horrors of war and how war affects every single human being at a very, like, at a very striated way that some people experience this way, some people experience this way. And I think introducing these cultures, the Southeast Asian cultures and identities is a really rich way to approach it. I think Gundam has not done a great job of doing that, but I am hopeful and optimistic for the future. And maybe that's foolish of me, but I'm holding out. I'm holding out. I made the, mis- I made the mistake of looking this up on the Crunchyroll forums. No. Forums in general. I don't know, man. Like... You know, so <laughs> take away here, Emma, Dr. Yasue is just like, don't look at forums, and I'm like, I believe so, you. It's so, like so, never read the so, comments, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, so two things came up. So what, what I what I talked about that. First of all, one of them was like everyone's talking about Mr. Wynn in um, in Hey Arnold, right? Oh, ye- oh, jeez. And, and then I talked about, but then I, I, you know, how I talked about that in the last episode and how it's a it's a really interesting portrayal of. Um, the West's of, of presence in, in Vietnam, right? Um, and then the other one that was also brought up by Hamstuff Wind um, was Black Lagoon, um, which is supposed to be set in the, the Philippines. Um, although I think some folks are saying, at least in this Crunchyroll forum, that's one of the characters is Vietnamese. Uh, we just told you not to go on the forums. We just told I'm, you. I'm, I, well, you, you told me to go on it, but I'm to, to not go on it, but I'm already on it. Oh, okay. Yeah, too late. Too little, too late. Okay, it's gotcha. too late. Just like that song by JoJo. Since I do have a broader a broader outlook, um, there is a Southeast Asian portrayal. I can think of 
fairly recently. It's in video games um, by Square Enix. Uh, well, there are two. Um, one better than the other. Uh, and one's more <laughs> South Asian. But um, in Dragon Quest XI, you go to what is clearly intended to be, um, and part of this is likely the translation, um, there's a city called Phnom So with the spelling of the... Cambodian um, style for the temples, but it, it's a pun. Um, and uh, it is a tourist trap where uh, the locals um, who are not, interestingly, um, they're not really dark skinned either. Uh, a lot of a lot of the Dragon Quest characters are portrayed as more light skinned in general, and that 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 carries over to um, to this region. But um, they try and swindle you almost immediately. Like merchants are trying to, to rip you off. And uh, they have a, a wat, a temple, that has this painting that's like kidnapping tourists and stuff like that. But it's, it's not great. It's not great. Um, and I knew this was going to come up again. Um, solidarity, <laughs> Pam. Um, the most recent... Uh, the most recent um, and Walker Final Fantasy XIV uh, expansion uh, yeah, an Indian themed nation which I I can't speak to how well it did I've seen generally positive response uh, mm -hmm. about it mm -hmm. um, but also uh, before that you get Alamigo and that is a oh, lot gosh. messier oh no we, we, we can go there for also a series of episodes yeah Al Alamigo is definitely <laughs> I like Stormblood personally, but mm -hmm. I can see why others don't. I, um, I don't. <laughs> and and Alamigo, Alamigo doesn't necessarily land super well um, in that uh, in their backstory, they were this kind of very savage and warlike nation that warred with one of the primary city-states. Um, and then they were captured by the, the major imperialist power. Um, so you go and you, you liberate them. Um, but... Uh, Stormblood being a messier expansion in general doesn't get a good look at their culture, um, and they don't necessarily come out looking the best uh, within within the whole context of everything. Also, the the big Alamegan character, who I, I personally I really like um, her. Her name is uh, Lise, and she is she is a she is a refugee. So she did not grow up in her culture, and there's a story about her kind of trying to reconnect and and failing a lot. Uh, with her culture that I, I personally really vibed with, but a lot of people didn't. And also she is blonde and blue eyed. And um, that is kind of weird. Um, so there's just, it's messy. I definitely feel like um, because 14 is a more global game with a lot of resources and honestly a director who does genuinely care. Um, they did a lot better. It seems like with, uh, with Razat Han, the, the more south um so you know it's kind of steps and, and things like that but uh yeah it's it's messy it's very messy it, it's interesting because Favner and Rezatan is you get two different reactions from it you get the south asian communities that are like holy shit we're there right but you also get a lot of southeast asian people going holy shit, we're there! So you have two communities seeing like all of these interesting cultural signa uh, signals. Um, 
now on the fandom side, there's a lot of erasure where I've seen some arguments of some people saying, no, no, this is mine. And other people go, no, 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 this is my country. Of course, uh, I don't have enough authority to say, no, this is from that country. No, this is from this country. Right. But I do like the responses. I, I know that a couple of my, f- my friends who have lived or come from Thailand or Cambodia uh, have actually cited it and go like, it's beautiful to see this on stage and to also see that uh, Thavnir as a nation, uh, primarily brown people or they're coded brown versus how El Amigo was portrayed where you have this very weird dissonance of like, there's a whole bunch of brown people, sure, but the main NPCs are all white. Light skin is a much better way of putting it. Yeah, so they have blonde mm. hair and blue eyes. So it's a bit what what's happening here, right? So I'm super I, glad too that there are Southeast East Asian people who are really vibing with Thavner because Thavner is wonderful. Like yeah. I loved it, the arc and and Walker, mm-hmm. and that means we all, we don't only have all amigos, so we get we, <laughs> we get to go yay. yay. I'm, I'm gonna nod and be like, I know what these so, so are. I, <laughs> I'm not kidding, Daniel. Like, I want to. I would love to get some some people from our group and play through just the story and analyze a lot of kind of like the stuff they do because it's super fascinating. Let's just uh, do it's it. Not perfect, I, I, I tried it right. once. I have an account. I have an account. I, well, I, I'll Steve, reinstall it. Every, it every, su- every Sunday, we'll do a live stream where yeah, we just like, play 14 you. and we just talk through it. I'm I into will, that. Okay. I will wake up early every weekend. <laughs> we'll make the timing you. work. No, no. <laughs> okay, here's, here's the deal. Stream. Okay, we'll, we'll make it a chill stream. We'll make it work. We'll, we'll do it at a time where Pam's like, like wildly OP character. Okay, characters can help everyone. <laughs> Because apparently that that's, I'm sensing that Pam's because, character is very very strong because you, because you called it o, because it's because Pam because Pam does savage raids. I'm assuming Pam your your character is strong, right? Don't worry, it'll level sink us down. You don't have yeah, to worry no, about Daniel. Does, down Daniel to my clearly level. is out of this and doesn't one. That's my. I know. I think I'm actually higher level than that. But I character. I will say that stream would be great. But what I love about this conversation is that you know you have all kind of like. To, to put my my own ideas, which is the only correct one, and my only my opinion is correct, is to say that I love that you went into this tangent of like Top Fantasy fourteen and the way these labels and the presentation has affected individual groups of people. And you know, some people really like it, some people don't like it. They feel tension, and how that can hit people individually like that—that's great. And I think flows into what I was saying. But really, the question I want to ask you is that: Is Final Fantasy fourteen an anime? Oh, oh, Steve, oh. <laughs> we don't have that's that much one. time left. That's, that's where I want to go. Yeah. To think. Okay, so um, I think I had a Twitter rant on this, which Steve <laughs> may have seen. Um, so uh, there has traditionally been a tendency in the Real Western episode. World of Warcraft community to dismiss Final Fantasy XIV as a weeb game. Now, first of all, let's unpack the phrasing of weeb or weeaboo, as is the um, full reading of that slang word, the which is the Western, typically white fan who is creepily obsessed with Japanese culture, 
while holding no real respect, but believing that they do. Um, it's 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 every cringe anime fan that you've ever met, basically. Super gatekeepy. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I linked a video in our chat about it, and like, it's it's very spot on because it's a comedy sketch, but ooh, oh, it hurts! It <laughs> really hurts because you've met this guy before. Um, but oh. the <laughs> the. I find the attack to be racist um, in that one, it's a game made by Japanese people for Japan. Um, Two, if you actually look at the game for like two seconds, you can see that much like a lot of Final Fantasies, they drew inspiration. Like the core inspiration for Final Fantasy, as I understand, is Dungeons and Dragons. The Western fantasy of swords and sorcery and knights Mm -hmm. and yes this is a a japanese interpretation on it and it has japanese cultural markers like emma emma has said you know it's meant for japanese audiences but it's not even within the context of like and i see i see a lot of the wow creators coming over we're like yeah you know it's it's totally weed but you know it's cool uh either way and it's like i see that a lot (laughs) it's japanese and and there are, there are there are cultural overlaps between anime as we as we consider it, which is a very stylized and specific presentation, mm-hmm. but is still culturally Japanese and something like fourteen, which well it does get very you know epic and bonkers, not necessarily outside of ways that like Mar- the Marvel Cinematic Universe would, for example. Yeah, um, the way it approaches it tends to be with an eye to some of how how, how some of the, the Western fiction does it, because it, it draws a lot of inspiration from these Western ideas and fiction. I think uh, uh, Yoshi P also went on record recently, or several times even before that, to tell people that there is no fight or competition between World of Warcraft and Final Fantasy XIV, that a lot of FF14's baby steps after 1.0 mm-hmm were the team going okay we fucked up the first time let's take a look at how world of warcraft is doing things and see how we can do our own thing from there so he literally yeah he literally said right? Final Fantasy 14 would not exist without world of warcraft right. he's Most. also apparently a god at world of warcraft like yeah top verse and everything i gotta add um unlike a lot of anime Square Enix and so the Final Fantasy games are made. They, this isn't typical, but Square Enix is a, a multinational company, so they yes. have headquarters in multiple locations, yes. and they communicate throughout the actual production process. So the way like a Final Fantasy or a big Square Enix title is made is with the inevitable localization in mind. Yeah, that they're going to what they're going yeah. to broaden their audience or, they're going to it's really team. difficult yeah. to change those things like with an anime you can change the scripts translate it do your best there's stuff that will get lost but it doesn't matter because you're a passive consumer but with video games because you're involved things have to make sense to a wide array of people or else it's going to get crazy the head of 14's localization team by the way is an american yeah um, christopher koji fox who um his his fa- he he is not actually Japanese at all, despite having a Japanese name that his parents, who had 
I think served in, in Japan and mm-hmm. really liked a lot of what they saw there, gave him a Japanese name, despite him. Yeah, and that's American. a that's a Oh, so it's not like <laughs> a certain Marvel employee. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, oh, his, his, his legal name is Christopher Koji Fox, which yeah. was given to him by his parents who spent time yeah. in Japan and they wanted to give him a little piece of, of their experience. That's another episode entirely talking about that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he he leads, uh, and 14 really is is kind of more of a global production. Um, the, the localization teams work together with the German and the French, I think is their other language. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, it is kind of an oddity and that is a bit of a rarity and that it is very much built up to have oh. this but I'm going to complicate this conversation even further when it comes Good. to FF14 because it is a global game and yet we do not have a Southeast Asian server. Correct. Nor is, is the Philippines even listed in your PlayStation network up until now, even though we have had PlayStation players since the 1990s. We, are, we do not, we effectively do not exist. And I have a funny story about that as someone who used to cover video games like... It, it, I won't even call it casual journalism, but it's also not professional journalism because I have my own website, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we, we have one of the big uh, esports and gaming summits that happen here regularly, mm-hmm. even even throughout COVID. But in the before times, you bring people over, right? Square Enix came over for the first time in 2018, if I recall my dates correctly. And they were shocked to see that this little brown country was apparently playing their games since the 1990s. They did not know that we were real. Uh, every, any local Filipino player of FF14 is technically illegal because we can't even register our own accounts. The Oceana oh. server is uh, people say, oh, great, now Southeast Asian players can play. We cannot. Our internet pipelines are different. So the ping will still be horrible. Uh, so Yeah, that, I think I, I've, I, I've seen... Uh, there's actually a 14 content creator who lives in Singapore who is talking about that too because mm-hmm. um, I think he plays on the JP server, which is... Yeah, I play on NA. Yeah, because so, you're on Crystal, right? Yeah, I'm on Crystal. Yep. I'm on uh, Ether because apparently I, I, I hate being able to log in properly. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm on Balmung, I'm, I'm so here, it's worse. I'm here trying to remember what my account I, is. Right, you are on Balmung, aren't you? I, I, yeah, I have I'm a spreadsheet for this, Daniels, don't worry. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I remember what my password is, but you got my if you have my login, I can figure out my password. Yeah, because I know, I know the Southeast Asian community, and I hope that you get it, because like, there are two big communities that I, I personally like... Mm. If you tell me that Mog Station proceeds are going towards these two servers, I will buy a lot <laughs> more out of outfit <laughs> for my characters because I want Southeast Asia and I want South America to both get more their own that. surfers because they really deserve it. What's it's, Mog it's, Station? Oh, it's the it's the F. Oh, we'll, we'll, oh, yeah. we'll take this offline, Daniel. We'll take this offline. As one of the I'm co-hosts gonna, of Asians represent, I'm just trying to be present in the conversation and understand yeah. it. But I will, I I will kind of like Emma. You were gonna say something. I was gonna actually. Kind I was of gonna say I'm gonna take over the show because. Like, <laughs> nice. Wait, okay. Well, like let, let's let's bring it back because I think, um, Emma, you made a really interesting point about this FF14 conversation. And you said that, you know, video games are active experiences and they're designed with that localization in mind. Not well, all of them, but well, not all of them, specifically but these does. big ones. They, like they're, they go in depth into their production yeah. process and how they do these things. And then you mentioned that anime is more of a passive experience and localization is like a secondary sort of thing that happens. Yeah. Um, but what, what did you want to add? What did I want to add? Yeah, you said just, you wanted to. T- I kind of <laughs> wanted to 
bring it back because this whole conversation is making me think like not everyone is represented well or even represented at all within something like anime so why are so many of us drawn to it because that kind of brings us back to some of our talking points but -hmm. also i was going to point out we only technically have almost like 10 minutes left yeah (laughs) so i think it would be i mean we've talked we've talked a lot i think in terms of like like key takeaways so far i think I mean, one of the big ones is obviously how Western fandom and more broadly sort of Western consumers of media have a habit of centering themselves in discourse when it should not apply to them in the first place, but making it about them. Uh, I think we also chatted, spent a lot of time talking about how perceptions of anime um, and specifically, I guess in this case, Japanese media um, are, are of a highly, highly, like really, really depend on like where you are in the world and one nation's sort of relationship with Japan, right? And their history. Um, but I think one of the things we should talk about is really like all five of us in this conversation are all fans of anime, consumers of this media. Why? Right. I know that all of you wanted to talk about why anime resonates with people around the world, even though there are these issues, even though there are these different perspectives, we're also consumers of this medium. So, so why, what, why, why does it resonate with you? Um, and I know you wanted to kind of guide the conversation, Emma. So I'm happy oh, to kind of, to. <laughs> but I'm, I'm happy to, to like give the reins to you. What, like, what did you want to talk about with with the sort of resonance of this sort of um medium yeah i think for me it's a a little different because i i am part japanese and so it has meant specific things to me but also without getting into all of that because we don't have time it's just anime hits different than western media and other things i've seen And this is a recurring theme in studies that people have done on anime fans and why they like it is because it's like, it's, it's different, even though there's a lot of it and it's got a lot of things in common. It's not your typical Hollywood or Canadian American made TV show. And I've just found like the emotional depth a lot of the times and the situations that characters get into, even for children's shows the facing difficult stuff and working through it and having to grow is a huge part of a lot of anime shows, even if they're super silly. So like, there's a lot to like there, but yeah, I think what you're referring to is in our show notes, what I was talking about, what's referred to as either cultural or racial affinity, Mm -hmm. which has come to be part of the conversation when talking about why so many people uh i'm going to say like non-white people are drawn to anime especially for the diaspora and part of it has to do with being racialized and then seeing racialized media and finding things in common or appealing about that and so that's what they mean by like an affinity uh and that is part of my story in a way but also, I don't know, 
anime is a connection to Japan for me in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah, I think, absolutely. Pam, go ahead. Me, sorry. I think for me, my affinity is less cultural and racial and more queer. Uh, and that was at least how it was when I was much younger, because uh, contextually, the Philippines doesn't talk about homosexuality or queerness. It's it's the dirty secret. So you'll have a lot of Filipino local Filipinos say, unironically, that we're so tolerant of that gay stuff. We just like love gay people. You'll hear that very often from us. And it makes yet, you feel better. We do that here in the U.S. too. Right, right. But like for us, it's a there's also an extra layer of. Um, you're literally outside of the realm of God that is your country if you're gay. You have to fit into very specific stereotypical tees in order to be allowed to practice practice your lifestyle. That's how we treat queerness. Nobody talks about it. Nobody helps you through it. Nobody gives you practical advice on anything from relationships to even sex. Nothing. You will get absolutely nothing you'll only get a lot of caricatures and a lot of parodies so when you actually see uh cartoons or what looks like cartoons anime when you're younger and it it, it has code it, it there are um there is queerness codified in it you finally feel like you're seeing yourself and it's a complicated thing as well, because again, I've already talked about specificity and Filipino identity and all that. So their ideas of queerness are not our ideas. And yet it helps us. It, it used to help a lot of people like me uh, learn more about ourselves by watching. That's why I was like a huge Clamp fan back in the day, because that was literally the first set yeah. of series that went like, maybe not. Maybe they're gay. Maybe they are. Holy Who shit. Right? Who, Who knows? knows? Right? <laughs> And then it, it later moved on. Canonically, everyone in the Clamp series is yeah, fire. Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. But like, uh, and then it moved on to degenerate stuff. Like uh, a lot of people uh, say a lot of boys go for Gundam Wing for the mechs. And then you have girls like me that are like, who do you ship? Is it 1x2? Is it 2x1? What and then there was a huge that's, that's hero duo, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh there's or, or duo hero, because 2x1 is, is duo. Oh yeah, because people were into the whole top bottom stuff, right? Which is another thing on its thing. own. Yeah. Right? I didn't even know I'm like thing. Yeah. Uh, and you also even have Utena, who uh I, I can say with confidence that a lot of my non-binary friends watched that and realized I'm non-binary or I'm lesbian from seeing that series. It's like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Yo! Right? No, hold oh. on. Oh, here, the, the galaxy brain moment of, am I Ikuhara, I don't personally vibe with his work, but yeah. the, the things that that one creator has done for the queer community around the world is is we would all hope to have that degree of influence in so many queer awakenings as ikuhara does mm -hmm. mm. so it, it's um that that's where a lot of my personal attachment comes from um and it continues to influence what i do uh and i would not have that space without this very complex broad spectrum that is anime, right? Because my country wouldn't give me that. 
And un- it's only in recent history that Filipino media is really starting to be a lot kinder about queer representation. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, representation in general, right? A lot of people actually get to see themselves in anime, right? Seeing Asian characters, seeing people who, I mean, while animated, look like you as as like the hero, as, as the main character. Not uh, only look like you, but they but, the way they work with their family mm-hmm. and all of that. Like I know that was very important. The food, the food they food, eat. The yeah, or even just the focus on meals. Like compare compare we'll say Dragon Ball Z, um with Gohan when Goku was alive. Gohan is actually he, just named he, Rice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Goku's kind of in and in and out. Also, Gohan was named after Goku's adoptive grandfather, who yeah. was someone else named yep. Rice because everyone's named after food or underwear. Anyway, can't yeah. emphasize. Yep. Um, but Two seeing Goku and Gohan like sit down and just like murder twenty bowls of food each. Um, How many of you thought the, eating rice was going to make you strong? In the in this in this sort of familial setting, whereas. Look at the Simpsons and look at how they they will they will show the family like just watching TV and you know or like Homer sitting apart and taking his meal with uh, with his TV tray or something like that. Just even those small differences can really make a big deal. Yeah, I, I maybe for me, I, I think the things that kind of bring me back into anime are. Most definitely, the kinds of stories being told. Yes, there are things in anime that just that just hit different. Like you said, Emma, like when I watched demon slayer for the first time, I was just like, like, what is going on? Like, this is awesome. Aside from some certain characters, but like the action sequences, it, it was just beautiful in a way that I had never seen before. Right. But then you go and look at like, and this is like the four of, you know, my, my partner is super into Naruto. She's actually watching it right now. Like I've been texting her trying to be <laughs> I, like, I, I totally, hey, I totally be like, hey, get ready to bring up Marla. And uh, she's watching yeah. Naruto. Yeah. <laughs> she, like, I don't, <laughs> so, so, sorry, patrons. Uh, anime no. got in the way. Um, but like for, for me, you know, the, th- the thing that I really love about anime is, is a certain kind of character that you don't see a lot in, in Western media. And it's, it's the characters that just try just keep keep trying and you don't see that right i mean the the classic anime example is rock lee like sure. rock lee versus you gara i so fucking much. love rock lee he's the best character in naruto <laughs> and nobody like will Naruto tell me otherwise rock lee is the best character rock lee is the best character i mean for so many reasons because you look at rock lee and then you look at like his sensei gotta add that to your website <laughs> add it to my fan oh, website. deep cut add that to my fan website um but like you see Rock Lee and so many characters are Rock Lee in other in other series. Yeah. Rock Lee is a is a trope, right? It's an archetype. It's an archetype that I also really enjoy. Do I see that in Western media? No. That's why I gravitate to characters like Zane Carrick in Star Wars, the the, the Knights of the Old Republic comic. That's why I gravitate towards, you know, Kanan Jarrus from Star Wars Rebels, right? Because they are that Rock Lee archetype and i think i talked about this loud enough that my partner heard um and so we're <laughs> gonna get marla um but yeah for for me it's like anime hits different but also the stories that the types of character archetypes are not those that you see in a lot of western media for me yeah. at least 
Uh, what about the, the, the rest of you? As, as Marla is brought up here, I'm going to add on based on my idea that, you know, labels are meant, in my opinion, to be deconstructed for greater good. My homework for our listeners here is to take these concepts, these conversation points here and to apply them to other animated forms of media, especially those if you're a Western listener, um, the produced in the West. So, for example, Legend of Korra, Avatar Last Airbender. Take a look at that and just, you know, take these ideas and these thoughts and see if they apply there and how they might resonate with these pieces of media, because I think there's a lot of value to be had. I'm not going to answer the question, is Legend of Korra an anime? Because I don't find that very valuable. But what I found very valuable is the things that make people love anime. Are they precedent Korra? Or have they been changed to resonate with a certain audience? How did that progress? What is the evolution? And how does it make you feel in the end? Anime is all the a few <laughs> words on the pile too before uh, before Marla or no Marla's here, but it's okay. No, I want to hear okay. the Pam and Liana because you are our guests here alongside Emma. I want to hear your like why does anime resonate with you? We've got time. Let's do this. Okay, all right. Well, I'm gonna go then. So, um, so I know like for me it's kind of weird. Um, I I definitely agree a lot with Emma and you know seeing seeing characters like yourself. Um, it's also very interesting, uh, with some of what Pam brought up about the queer culture. Like I spent most of my life thinking I was a straight man. Um, I was not, uh, so being a, being a gay trans woman, I'm going back and I'm seeing all of this LGBT stuff with kind of a fresh eyes and seeing how much it affected me, even though I didn't, I didn't understand what it was doing to my brain at the time, which is super interesting. Um, and just kind of that, that presence, like I've always been around the Yaoi fandom and I was always like, well, yeah, of course I'm not super into it. You know, I'm a straight guy, even though I find it kind of amusing. Whereas, whereas now I'm like, oh, like I found it amusing because I was just happy for my, for my girlfriends who, who actually like guys, I just don't have interest in them myself. Um, so, so just, just kind of those, those schema shifts. I also, um, Anime is generally a bit better with its female characters. I have a lot of complaints, but Same. comparatively <laughs> to yep. Western media, yep. um, I feel like female characters uh, who've always kind of been my favorite. Um, funny how that works out. Um, but being able to see these really cool, awesome femme characters is is something that really resonates with me, something I really appreciate and something that while while having problems is just so much better in general than in Western media. And and they seem to be a bit more likely to get top billing um, just because I think they have the shoujo, like the shoujo market is a big one. The we're making these specifically for women, which you don't, you, you kind of have that with us media, but especially with the rise of the blockbuster, we've seen that kind of dry up. Um, and also the idea of having having a female lead in a in a shonen for boys series, and you know, like she's the main character and she's an action hero, or she's like an angry Scottish witch who's also an idol who shoots dragons, yeah. made by the Bleach yeah. guy. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I forgot. I about loved that those series. characters. Like those two. Those two were great. Like they were total chaos gremlins and 
You know, he bleached all over it at the end. Yes, that, <laughs> oh is, that is a that is a, a, a proper uh, a verb here. And those who've seen the very last part of that know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but like, it's just cool. Like, it's cool to see cool women who are awesome and strong and engaging and have personalities that sometimes don't even involve men occasionally it's really nice it's what i thought sword art law online was going to be but didn't get that it's what i thought it was going to be with asana ruined it um but yeah it's just it's it's fun it's fun it's very fun and i feel like sometimes western media forgets to do that yeah no absolutely um that's it i know steve you got to step away for a second no worries because there are some folks that we um we have to um, we have to thank, and uh, we had Marla up here, and Marla is coming back up um, <laughs> because my my partner paused Naruto to to come to come and uh, uh, bring up our our very round cat. Um, but that said, while while Steve is out, it's just going to be me on screen, folks. Um, we have a lot of folks to thank. Um, Marla is coming up. I could hear her screaming in protest, not screaming, just squ- squeaking in protest. Here comes. Here comes Marla. Um, Mar- Marla, Marla, why don't you tell us what your favorite character and who your favorite character in Naruto is? No, she 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 wants to look Choji? away. Choji, is it Choji? <laughs> is it Choji? Do you use, do you use the expansion jutsu or do you just like Sasuke? She's a butterfly chakra. She, she is a butterfly. Oh. Um, were you watching Naruto? No. No. <laughs> oh, you're watching Superstore. Another good show. You should watch. Um, um, but Marla, oh, you're just paw on me. Cool. Uh, we have a lot of people to thank. Thank you so much for our Guardians of the Realm, Brooke Bright, Pixel Grotto, Jeremy, the best writer on D&D Beyond, uh, Daisy May, and of course, our most honorable patrons. And you know, the most honorable Metal Weave Games and the most honorable Valorous Games. <laughs> well, Marla, trying okay. She's trying to escape. Oh, because Marla wants to go play Valor, the heroic role play system, right? Um, Dungeon Glitch slash Matt, you are super honorable. And the most honorable times two epic impulse. And Marla, Marla, say hi to everyone. Oh, she looked at the camera. Briefly. She looked at the camera. <laughs> she looked at the camera. Marla, she one more at time. The camera and was like, oh, nope, nope. Ma- Marla, <laughs> Marla, no, one more time. No. Okay. She's fine. like, why? Why? Okay. <laughs> Um, that, that said, um, Pam, Liana, Emma, thank you for joining us. Your socials are all up here. They're also going to be in the description on your, you know, Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, YouTube. Um, thank you folks for, for joining Steve and I, I think we should definitely do a follow-up episode. I think we should do a follow-up on, I mean, we have to, we have to, I think we need we to do a follow up on like, we have to follow. I know. Up, well, here's the thing. I think we definitely need to do an episode. That's just anime and Southeast Asia. I really think we Agreed. need to. And I think that I should just not be present and I should just be producing. Um, we, we need one on gay. We need to talk about the gay. Well, what if, what if we talked about, I wonder if, because we also wanted to talk about, like queerness in Usha, what if we talked about, would it be too much of a broad topic if we talked about queerness in Asian pop culture? Yep, too much. Yep, yeah, too much. Just focus on okay. anime. So I didn't even talk about Eva, so. Yeah, I will, on our show notes, I will put a, um, 
a link to this Evo thing as kind of a, a preview we should say so let's say will, we'll do follow-up episodes and I we'll do say animates we also Asia. Do a fandom episode by the by yes oh okay, okay. we have one of the fandom. premier cosplayers of asian represent right yeah. here right now look so at look, a huge also look can we just talk about how, how how pam just dropped like that they like coordinate all of these underground cons. Yeah, we just talking. We, we just we just mentioned just at the that center again. of all of these things. Yeah. And, then, and then and then Pam was just like, "You'll recognize me if you're on this website." <laughs> I'm getting that username after this, by the way. I'm telling you, their power Amazing. is like so much. Like you can't even comprehend their power. Yeah, I was just like, I was like I'll shut you all down. <laughs> I, I own the Asian represent server. It's over. It's true. Uh, pull the plug. That's Pam. So Pam, you can do whatever you want on the show. Um, oh my gosh. Uh, but, but that's it. Let's do an episode. We got anime in Southeast Asia. Fandom. We'll do um what else did we say? Oh, we uh, queerness in um in anime. Uh, one of the things one of the things we've been trying to do for a really long time, and like Steve, you and I have tried to to talk about how we might navigate this. I think anime is a really good primer to have a conversation about, um, the, you know, the black community and the Asian community. Yeah, we touched on that a little bit today. Yeah, and, and I and think I, that is a very special episode that we should plan for. That, that's a whole episode. I think we just need to find the guests. We need to find the guests. We need to put together a panel. But I think we need to do that. And I think anime is the medium to which we should do it. Absolutely um, agree. I, I would love to do a panel between us and, and some some Black communities. Uh, I think it's a very important conversation to have. I think I think when I was first pitched this, I said it might be cool to include a Black person even on this you did. episode. So. You did. Um, but that's yeah, I think we should do like just an episode on that alone. Um, I think that's an important thing. But that said, thank you folks for you know, tuning into this episode of Asians Represent. I know this was a really, really heavy topic. Um, so please, you know, make sure you take some time to watch an anime that's not going to hit you in the heart. Watch something Try light. Try to find one. Try to find one. <laughs> Try to find uh, How dare you. <laughs> I, I honestly can't. No, I can, I can, I can name like light animes. Go watch those at work. Enjoy it. Just like have fun. I, I like Way of the House Husband. Okay. Um, watch, um, watch, uh, yeah, Wave the House Husband. Um, Heaven's Design Team has the best trans woman in all of anime. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Let me let me just write this down. Heaven's because Design Team. She's just team. there. And... I have nothing to offer that is smart, but Gintama. Watch Gintama. Oh yeah, yeah. Gintama. Yeah. Yeah. Shit. Heaven's Heaven's Design Team is edutainment. It's a lot of fun. It's about angels creating animals, uh, and God being the kind of finicky and vague uh, commissioner. Um. Okay. Anything else? Anything else? Ooh, there's so many just like light, fun anime. Let, let's like, take it. Let's let's get like, it. Let's let's like, go. Let's get out of this with five. So we've got like, Heaven's Design Team. Fun can still hit you in the feels. Yeah, that's oh, true. Is, is okay. Um, I personally like Shirobako, but it will probably stress office workers out. Um, Shirobako is my favorite series ever. It's a it's an anime about creating anime. Mm-hmm. Oh. Like, so it's like wow. production company dealing with the, the artiste director who's kind of a nut job. It's and an anime about crunch. It well, the main character at a lot of strong female leads, my Sweet. thing, um, and it's about 
it's about these girls who who grew up um, who went through college wanting to make anime together, and then them getting into the industry, uh, following the the lead who's a uh, production basically. So she's wrangling cats, trying to actually get anime out the door. What is this series called? Shirobako. I'll add Remind, that to the list. Reminds you of Genshiken too about Genshiken, you know, yeah. Club. I uh, loved Genshiken was my original favorite. Um, great dice of life. I have really issues good. with Genshiken 2's Hato portrayal. I think it could have been better because Hato should be a trans woman. Um, and I have very strong opinions about that, but it's not bad. Um, but... I, I see what you're saying. I'm going to go back and rewatch it because now that you've said it, like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, Prince of Tennis. <laughs> oh my God, don't get me started at all. Um, that was for you, John. Um, but, but, that, but that said... Um, we got some takeaways. We'll add some more recommendations. We'll put them in the show notes. Uh, again, thank you folks for just having this conversation. Excited to have more of them. Um, and, you know, for all of you listeners and viewers, thank you. Thank you.